everybody welcome to the 248th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage and whoo it's been a drama filled few days so uh, i'm glad that the dust has settled uh portland isn't good enough for jason kidd and then we can go on with our coaching search it's it, it hasn't been honestly a fun no 72 hours just basically having notifications for Woj and Chris Haynes and then getting conflicting reports within like two hours of one another. I, I just had to kind of sign off. I said my piece, sign off. Uh, we went to the movies for the first time, I think, since 2019. Um, so that was really dope to get, get back to some normalcy there. We saw A Quiet Place Part 2. Great movie. If you haven't seen the first, see the first, see the second. Uh, and then we came home and watched a movie on Hulu. If you haven't seen, it's called uh, Train to Busan. It's a, it's a Korean film, but it is fantastic. So if you have Hulu, go find that. Like there, It's time to start finding some other uh, hobbies other than the Blazers because I, I can't let that consume me. It, it, we, ha- we, we lost to Denver. I need a little bit of a break. And there was just way too much drama for your boy. So I, I had to find some other things to do. What, what, what have you been up to this weekend, Sage? I have, During the playoffs, I exhausted myself with doing the editing and publishing the same day. So for the last two weeks, like slept like shit just because of all the work that it takes to do the, the playoff stuff. So this weekend, I just slept until noon both days. I'm, I'm starting to finally feel like a damn human again because it was just like, it was just like I was zombified through everything. Paid attention to the Blazer game, recorded, published, and then became then slept. Like I was a z- damn zombie for the last two and a half weeks. So it, it was it, it feels it feels good to be a human again instead of just a robot that has a few basketball takes and chills, <laughs> then then just has to wait till the next time he has to do this. Well, it is over. We have a bit of a break. As we mentioned during our last episode, we thought one shoe would fall, and it did. Basically, the following day, the Blazers and Terry Stotts mutually parted ways after nine years together. That was probably a main reason why the team did not hold exit interviews on Friday. Typically, teams hold those exit interviews the day after uh a season has came to an end, whether that's in the regular season or after a postseason defeat. So you kind of knew something was up there, probably for the best. No need to make the players or the coaching staff go through something that was pretty in- inevitable. But before we get into anything, I-, I want to, first of all, thank Terry Stotts for everything that he has done for this organization. He gave nine years to this team that we both love, to all of our listeners have a just a huge vested interest in. And being a head coach is something that is more than just a regular profession. You eat, sleep, and breathe that career. You give so much of yourself to that. And to do that for nine years, 
that that's pretty incredible. So, you know, we didn't always see eye to eye on some of the decisions that, that Terry would make or his rotations, adjustments. You can, you can say that just about any any player or coach in, in the league. But for, for nine years, there was a lot of consistency. There was a lot of certainty. You knew what you're going to get. He was a great person, beloved by the entire staff, beloved by uh, his players. And it's it's an end of an era for sure. So I just wanted to start off the podcast by, you know, thanking Terry for, for doing everything that he did and just like I don't think you could blame him for everything. Maybe you don't give him credit for everything as well. But during his tenure, the Blazers advanced past the first round three times. Uh, I know the whole number is now we haven't uh, got out of the first round. Uh, we've only done it once in the past five years. But three times we made it out of the first round. And I think it's important to keep that perspective because 12 years prior to Terry Stotts becoming the head coach, Portland had never advanced out of the first round. It was 2000 was the last time we had gotten out of the first round. So there was a huge drought lingering over Rip City. And now Portland's ready to take that next step. Getting out of the first round just just isn't good enough. And I think that's a positive place to be. But it's important to acknowledge the accomplishments because there were a lot of rosters that weren't the best you were dealt a bad hand. And for the most part, the Blazer teams overachieved more times than not. And it's so much easier, Sage, to replace a head coach than to replace a roster. Someone has to fall on an underachieving sword. And that's exactly what happened. I do think the time was right for a change. I think the game had passed Terry by a bit. But it doesn't mean we can't be thankful for, for the years that that he gave and the, the times that we had as, as, a, as a franchise and a fan base because it's been a pretty successful, consistent era of Blazer basketball. It's just time that we focus on going to that next level. And uh, I think the Blazers came to the right conclusion that, okay, let's let's see if a coaching change can revitalize this franchise. We saw it happen in Toronto. Dwayne Casey, coach of the year, Eastern Conference Finals year after year. They couldn't get it done. Well, Nick Nurse comes in, but it also coincided with Kawhi Leonard coming in. So that this doesn't mean that a new coach is all of a sudden going to make this, this, this thing work again. They have to see eye to eye with the, the general manager and it has to coincide with the general manager bringing together another star to play with Damian Lillard. A lot of what you just described was luck. I mean, with the with the Raptors, they got Kawhi. So though the the future head coach and the general manager of this team need to work together and find players that will work in that system. I think that Neil O'Shea throughout his tenure gets players that he likes that don't necessarily fit Terry Stotts' scheme. Like uh, Derek Jones is a perfect example. I think with a different coach, Derek Jones would have been worth the MLE. But with this current coach and his current scheme, he wasn't. So if if Neil Shea is indeed the GM of the future, he needs to work with whatever coach it is to uh, really work together to create the best possible team because a lot of the big signings and the big trades haven't necessarily worked with what Terry does. So hopefully in the future, 
whoever that head coach is, they they get the proper talent that they need for the scheme that they want to run. Losing Terry has now that that's the first domino to fall, so to speak. But I think that has brought in more uncertainty than I think maybe the average fan or myself would have anticipated. It seems to me, this feels the most uncertain the organization has felt in terms of a direction probably since 2011. And I was working for the team when that day came down. Brandon Roy had to medically retire. Greg Oden medically retired. And I think LaMarcus was diagnosed with his uh, heart arrhythmia, which ultimately forced him to retire this year. That happened on a single day. And that was right after the Rise With Us era. There was so much hope and you know joy and rejuvenation around Rip City. And it almost ended before it began. And that started a really uncertain period for the Portland Trailblazers. And you didn't really have much to go off of who who are, you, who are you going to lean on you know was was LaMarcus going to be the leader uh you brought in a whole bunch of veteran cast of characters and it just didn't work out and thankfully that only lasted a year of uncertainty Neil O'Shea and Terry Stotts were ushered in along with a rookie out of Weber State named Damian Lillard and since 2012 there has been certainty so now for the first time in about 10 years we don't know what is going on in Portland who, who's going to be here? Um, there have, you know, we, we mentioned earlier, basically the dueling, the dueling mouthpieces uh, of the media. You've got Neil Olshay going through Woj. You've got Tammy Lillard going through Chris Haynes and not really being on the, the same page. That seems like there's already a, a power struggle brewing between Lillard and, and Olshay, Dame wanting Jason Kidd, the, reports from Woj have never mentioned Jason Kidd. Mm -hmm. It just almost feels like there's already a a really shaky foundation when there shouldn't be, when you have a star player like Lillard and you're already hearing reports from uh, CNBC, Jabari Young. He worked for uh, NBC Sports Northwest for a year, then before going back to San Antonio. So he does have some ties you know, already mentioning that, you know, Damian Lillard is going, you know, he, he uh, said a rival NBA agent who faced a similar situation with the star player said Dame could first gauge how serious ownership is about winning Portland's willingness to go into the luxury tax before really deciding if he's going to go all in two feet first with Portland or because right now it feels like Dame is kind of on the fence. He's one foot in, one foot out. I, I think he wants to make it work in Portland. He, he just wants to see if they're able to get him that second star. And, and I think there is a very delicate balance with an organization when you have a, a superstar between putting pressure on the front office and holding a front office and organization hostage. I, I don't think Damien has done or is currently doing the latter. But again, it is a very fine line and it, it, can, cause, it can cause a ripple effect either way. So it's going to be really interesting to see who Portland hires for this position and the, the following moves from, from Neil Olshea, because as I was thinking about it, let's say they hire a veteran coach like a Mike D'Antoni. Well, what if some of the moves in the offseason come and Dame's like, these aren't good enough, I want out. Well, now you're stuck with Mike D'Antoni, probably for three or four years of his contract, 
coaching probably now a youth movement, which one, he's not going to want. He's not interested in that. He's not interested in that. And I don't think you want that for your young players either. You want to have somebody who's going to develop them. So it puts Portland in a, a very difficult decision because, you know, do you bring in some some young candidates that could be good for player development or yeah, Steven Silas in Houston? Yeah. So it, it, it's such Portland's doing a tightrope act. Everyone collectively in the organization walking a tightrope from skyscraper A to skyscraper B and the winds are surging and we don't know what wind is going to be the one that ultimately knocks the organization office balance. See, I've gone through this with Anthony Davis and it doesn't feel like Anthony Davis. It's early in the off season, of course, but with Anthony Davis, he made it, he was very direct on, he, there was 29 teams he was willing to play for the 30th was the team that he was. I, I think that Damien, I think for the first time in his career is holding the, the ownership team in, like they they failed to really get him that superstar. He's using this offseason as a way to hold them accountable. I don't think he's gonna draw this out like Anthony because of the person that he is. And I think that Neil O'Shea needs to know that he has to improve the team. So I don't think of it as the Anthony Davis or a Jimmy Butler situation yet. I think it's one of those where it's holding the organization accountable trying to get him that superstar. And of course that's willing. I'm willing to change that stance as things go on. But as, like, as a human, I just don't think that Damien's going to hold us, hold the team hostage. The key word you said there was yet. I, I agree with you right now. No, but anything can change. Anything. Can change, yeah. I mean, he's 31. He's, he's going to be 31 in the prime of his career probably not going to get too much better, but could still play at this level for another couple of years, wants to compete. And, and I, I think everyone un- understands that. And I don't think he would be a player to hold out either. I think it's important to note that he's under contract uh, through, I think, the 2024 season. Um, his extension is just now going to kick in. So it's either the 2024 or 2025 season. So Portland does have leverage there. However, you also don't want to be disrespectful to someone who has put the team on their back for the past nine seasons. And you would want to respect their wishes if it wasn't, you know, you would just hope that both parties could act like grownups and find a mutual, you know, parting of ways and finding Dame a nice landing spot while also getting the best return possible. But like you mentioned, I don't think we're there yet, but the fact that we're talking about it, even if it is good to put pressure on Olshay, still has a certain um, uncertainty to it. One that we probably haven't felt in quite some time. I mean, the difference between 20, that 2010 rebuild and this is that Damien's under contract. So at least there he's on the team, whether or not he likes it for a while. Now it's time to pair Damien with a coach that can help them bring them to that next level. It's about finding that next level head coach. So, uh, yeah, I just looked it up. I feel like there's, I feel like there's hopefulness because you kind of knew what the Blazer team was going to max out at. Now there's, you take away that comfortable middle and now it's time to see 
if we can make something happen so it's it's a the we can get to the ceiling you know with, with terry stotts there was that middle that you felt comfortable in and now uh the uh we finally have a chance to hit the ceiling of what damien can uh really reach with a uh, coach that's playoff ready just looked it up he has a player option after the 2024 season so he would be in line to make 54 million dollars in the 2025 season somehow i don't think he would opt out of that so by all intents and purposes four years left on, on dame's uh extension so you meant yes he is under contract for quite a while and he doesn't strike me as the type of player who would hold out. I think you're going to get his best effort regardless of what I think you're going to see if it gets to it, him handle a situation like James Harden uh, did for, for example, but you mentioned Dame and picking the right coach. And he came out and said, I want to play with Jason Kidd. I've got a great relationship with him, both point guards from Oakland. And I am so thankful that that got shot down today by Woj basically had a, had a piece. Jason Kidd reached out and was like, I do not want to be the awkward third wheel between Olshay and Lillard because the ownership and front office really never viewed Jason Kidd as a legitimate candidate. And for me personally, um, and I think a lot of other fans felt this way, Jason Kidd's past being convicted as someone who committed domestic violence along with I mean, he's, he has a laundry list of, you can go through and read that factored in with, he's been a terrible head coach, Brooklyn. Uh, he was there for a year, made a power play to get to the front office. They shipped him off to Milwaukee, Milwaukee, middling front, a middling, uh, middle of the road team. They get rid of him for Mike Budenholzer. Milwaukee has now been like the, the top dog of the East for the past few years. He's just, he's not a good coach. And from what I can, you know, his past has told us hasn't really paid his debt to society. And I think a lot of Blazer fans were willing to put their money where their mouth is and said, we do not want this myself included. So I'm glad he removed all doubt from there. And so now you're looking at a coaching search where you've got Neil O'Shea, probably Burt Cold from still as Paul Allen's right-hand man, Jody Allen and Damian Lillard are going to have to come together and find the one person that can tie this all, you know, tie this all together with, with some, some harmony, because I think there, it, it is, I wouldn't say any of their relationships are fractured, but I think it is a delicate situation right now, especially when you get to, you know, Dame's never going to get this these years back. It's just like when you leave for the draft early, you're never going to get your junior or senior year back in college. Like you, you gave that up. Like father time is undefeated. So Dame will, he has two to three prime years left and he wants to maximize that. So I think there's going to be a fine line between what Neil wants versus what, what Dame wants versus what's best for, for this team. We've heard Woj, who again is basically Neil's mouthpiece come out and get, get four candidates right off the bat, Jeff Van Gundy, Mike D'Antoni, um, Chauncey Billups, and Jawan Howard from the university of Michigan. But Woj also said Portland is waiting until after the first round has completed, which it just did to conduct any interviews. No one has 
been uh, formally uh, requested permission to, to speak with them, which would be the case for both D'Antoni and Billups. Both the Nets and the Clippers are still in the playoffs. So I, I don't know how quick the search is going to be. Um, I wish I would have connected the dots earlier, Sage, because um, I saw a tweet from, from Peter Vesey. Now, he was probably more dialed in 10, 15 years ago, but I, I think he still has his, his ear to the ground and finger on the pulse. Um, he mentioned a Portland person in the know submits Jason Kidd removed his name from consideration because he knew Chauncey Billups is a living lock to get the job. And I think there is a lot of merit to that. I think uh, there's a lot of validity in, in that statement. Um, just thinking back to when I was working with the team and Neil Olshay would, would, would mention um, they would get all of the employees in there and he would kind of give updates from, from what he's hearing and just updates on the franchise. He always brought up Chauncey Billups. He brought in Chauncey Billups when he was the GM of the Clippers as one of their veteran acquisitions. He's had a good to great relationship with Chauncey from, I mean, Neil's been working with players for, for, for ages Chauncey is also a player that he probably thinks could be on the same page with him, that maybe he could be a yes man to Olshay. That's what worries me the most. That is a, so that's what worries me about Chauncey Billups. He, he has zero head coaching experience, except he is, he's just now became an assistant with the How club. long has he been an assistant? Just this year? I think it's just this year on Tyron Lue's uh, staff. So, Yes, Hall of Fame point guard. Also, also carries baggage, not as much as Jason Kidd, but there are some allegations from 1997 that I honestly had no idea existed until they were brought up. Um, he has been uh, accused of, I think it was rape, with Ron Mercer and Antoine Walker. Um, there Again, if you want to search, it's, it's out there. It was settled out of court and it's very, it's again, a delicate situation because kid was convicted. These are allegations that we don't know. We weren't there. So it is a, a, a weird time, I think in the blazer fandom, because we're looking for a new coach, obviously, whether we loved Terry strategies or, or not, you knew you could get behind him. He was a good guy. And I think the Blazers are consisted of stand-up guys. They do great work in the community. They're easy to root for. I don't want a yes man. I don't want someone that's going to be Neil's puppet on the court. We need someone that is going to work with Neil and say, yeah, I can, I can work this player to my system, but I, I'm not going to do everything you like. I, this is my team. Like you stick to the business and the, in the, the financials and the roster construction, I stick to the X's and O's. And I think that's, it's really hard to find front office and head coaching, you know, just great, great relationships. And, and that's why the Spurs and their organization are, is so valuable with RC and, and pop. Those two will uh, work together. We need to find somebody. If, if Neil Shea is going to be the, uh, president of basketball operations, we need somebody that can tell Neil Olshay no. And I don't, if Chauncey Billups, I'm realizing that, yeah, like those two have a connection and that could be good, but that also can be like, 
that yes man thing that you were talking about. We we don't want that. We need somebody with the power to say no. So hopefully in this in this exhaustive coaching search, we can find somebody with the uh, the abilities and the balls to say no to Neil O'Shea, and then they them still be able to work with one another in a in a professional setting, which takes a lot of work. Like Charles Lee or Will Weaver, this is going to be their first opportunity to be head coaches. So, are they going to be strong enough to say no to Neil when he tries to pull some shit off? Like you know he will so it, it it's going to be a lot of talking it's going to be a lot of you know trying to connect with one another and hopefully the coach can connect with the players which i think is just as important as having a good working relationship with his general manager so it's going to be an exhaustive search and i hope that this the second round teams i think i think the second round teams have more potential coaching uh than the uh, first round team. So I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see which coaches get permission to talk with uh, the Blazers in the next coming days. Who's on your short list if you were running the search committee and give a little bit of background as to why, because some of the names may, our listeners, including myself, may not have as much history or familiarity with them. So one thing I want is somebody younger that can, identify with the players being able to talk with you know the 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 15th man and dame and be able to communicate is important i i think someone with that can identify with dame's struggle or as a black man or you know whoever the 15th man is is going to be important um i want somebody that has good player development uh reputation i want somebody who is a strategist as a, as a, as a coach in one of their two things. And I would like for the coaching to be a horizontal structure where, you know, the assistant coach can talk to the, uh, to our head coach and give ideas. And I felt like in the past, Terry Stotts wanted to be the captain of, of everything. So uh, some people that I really like is Charles Lee. He is a, uh, an assistant on the buck staff. He was from Bucknell university played in uh, Europe for a, a few years, uh, went into the uh, business world for a few years, then came back and started coaching at Bucknell, then went and uh, went into Atlanta, developed Dennis Schroeder. Once uh, Bud get, went to, uh, went to uh, Milwaukee, uh, Lee went on and helped, helped the young players develop like uh, Dante DiVincenzo and then, yeah, it really helped Giannis. And I, I think Drew Holiday's game has expanded a lot. So Charles Lee is top of my list. Uh, Will Weaver was the head coach in Australia. Uh, coach Didi Lazoria, um, fresh with his offensive perspectives, uh, signed with Houston this year to be their offensive head coach. I think finding someone that can be so offensively uh, – diverse is going to be a huge thing so will and charles are my top two and i I, i'm my uh charles lee blog post is already longer than his wiki page so you're going to get a lot of information yeah i would say along with those i would be fine with either of those as well i uh, of the names that came from woge the only one that really got me excited was juan howard uh mike d'antoni been there done that 
Jeff Van Gundy, he hasn't coached for 14 years. Like, I mean, talk about someone who would probably be out of touch with the modern game. Uh, I, I think that would be a complete disaster. Chauncey Billups, I, I, I don't know. Um, the relationship with Neil kind of puts me off. And also, like, you, you don't know. Like, it's – the allegations are, are, are a sticky point. Like, I, I don't – there's nothing that says yes. There's nothing that says no. But it's just – maybe there's a weird feeling in, in the back of your mind. Like, you don't know. Um, it was easier to dismiss Jason Kidd for me because he was convicted. And I'm thankful that Kidd is not there. Uh, other coaching trees that I prefer, San Antonio and Miami. Uh, you look at San Antonio, Ime Udoka, Portland raised, uh, went to Portland State, coached under uh, Popovich. Uh, you look at Becky Hammond, who, again, has has had coaching experience in games when Popovich gets ejected. Uh, she's been there a while. I also really like Jawan Howard because he is from the Miami culture. I mean, not only did he play a year here, but he learned under Spolstra. And the last name I'll throw out is if Miami wants to move on from Spolstra, I would hire him in a heartbeat. I think he is one of the top three coaches uh, in the league, and they would be absolutely foolish to let him go. Again, has ties from the University of Portland. I believe his uh, mother was an exec with the Blazers in the early 90s as well. So there's just a lot of, a lot of local ties there too. And, you know, Spolstra, he's dealt with LeBron, Wade, Bosch, and he's dealt with uh, – uh, general manager like uh, Pat Riley. So, you know, he is not afraid to say, this is how we're going to do it. So he's got the experience to, to make it happen. And um, you just look at how he brought that team together in the bubble last year and just made that, that run really unexpectedly. Um, and, and you look at that team that didn't really have a lot of talent, but they were great at finding gems and developing. I mean, you look at Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn, uh, you look at all of the players they draft, they just they just blossom under that heat system. Bam Adebayo, you know, Tyler Hero. And they, they just, they have it right. Like the, the heat culture, I think is legit. I think it's, you know, you look at cultures, you talk about the Spurs. If you look in the East, it, it's Miami, what, what teams need to be, you know, replicating. So Howard, Spolstra, Udoka, Hammond, uh, I like Weaver from what I've heard from you, and, and Charles Lee. I mean, we wanted Mike Budenholzer after that 2018 sweep. You know, we were both advocating for a change. Budenholzer was the guy. And if so if you can get a player or, excuse me, a coach that has learned from, from Coach Bud, I'm, I'm all ears. So, yeah, so there, I think there are just better – And with Juwan Howard, you watched Michigan. Didn't you see like a – a really motion-based, team-based offense until they hit uh, Baylor. Like, that was a really good offensive scheme that was very – you could put into the pros. So you you see what Jawan can do with the heat. You, you Well, with Jawan, I remember watching that, and clearly college talent's not NBA talent, but it, it was against Baylor, and it was like, I believe, the, the final play of one of the quarters, whatever it was. He drew up three straight money plays mm-hmm. to give these guys wide open looks. They didn't and then drop. Franz bricked it. Yeah, they they didn't drop. But I mean, the plays were all different, and they were all executed perfectly to just get up the the best looks that you can imagine. And he he's a former player. He can. He's got the respect. He's an OG. You know he he knows how it works. 
And I think he comes in with a lot of just hunger. Like he's a young coach. That's what, that's another reason that kind of, unless it's a Spolstra, it's another reason why I do like the idea of a first time coach, because you're going to get that hunger. You're going to get someone who's going to work as hard as, as Lillard and McCollum. And I think that's important. Uh, you look at Mario Cristobal, I think is a really good example at, at the university of Oregon, just the hustle and grind that he has. It kind of permeates down to his staff and they are just on the recruiting trail and it starts at the top. And if you get someone who is energetic and enthused about what they're doing, and that's another reason why I think it was time to move on from Terry. Like he had done this for nine years. He's probably like, God damn, like I can't do this anymore. Like I, I'm done. And, and I, be, I completely understand that. We've all been there at, at jobs at certain points in our life. We're like, I, I'm not motivated to do this anymore. Get someone fresh. Maybe it's their first or second job or, and I think you just really need to bring that that grit and, and that that scrappiness and just that hunger back to Blazer basketball. The only reason I would be relatively okay with Van Gundy or uh, D'Antoni. D'Antoni is because I know that their staffs are going to be excellent. I feel like we will know the staffs better with those two. I would prefer them to go someone younger, but I know that Van Gundy's staff is going to be excellent. and. We've, we've had a disadvantage in coaching when you get to that elite tier. I know Van Gundy is in tune with the league enough to know that Will Weaver can do the offense and then someone else can do the defense and it'd be really good. So that's the only reason I could would talk myself into a Van Gundy or, uh, or any of those veteran coaches. I mean, that's true. And I think that goes for, for any coach that we hire is their staff ha- has got to be good. Your, your head coach is only as good as the staff. Phil Jackson isn't shit unless he has Tex Winter by his side coming up with that triangle offense. A head coach is really just a people manager. Hey, you're not going to get the minutes of this game. Or, hey, I'm going to need to uh, rely on you down the stretch. Like, this is going to be your role. Define those roles. Uh, come up. Be open to, to um, change. change and suggest. And you know that's been a difficult thing for the Blazers for the last assistant coach nine years. The defensive strategist says, hey, we need to swap X on B. You need to say, okay, you're the expert here. I'm going to trust you. So mm-hmm. there's just a lot of trust. You have to delegate uh, a lot of responsibilities. You have to not, you have to be okay not always being in control. Mm-hmm. Let these players come when they want. You know, that that's always been the, the caveat with a college coach is a college coach has complete control. They, they tell the players what to wear, where to be, where, you know, like the, everything is on the coach's watch. In the NBA, it's much more different. I mean, it's player driven. You have to be very relaxed and, you know, hold them accountable. But there, there has to be the symbiotic relationship where it's like, OK, I'll do it your way, but give me a little bit of flavor. This new regime has to be. They have to listen to each other and respect each other. You really think Steve Kerr was the one who thought, let's put Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen and force him to shoot? No, that was probably some statistic nerd that thought it was a good idea and he had the foresight to listen to him. So there needs to be that relationship with this new staff. So when when the coach gets announced, we have to be in on Woj's timeline to see who the lead assistant is and all of that because all that matters. The head coach is just one piece. We need to know the staff. So if the staff is good, I'm, I'll be a lot more excited than uh, 
being kept in the dark on roles for the team. Well, the Pelicans don't sweep us in 2018 without their lead assistant coach. Yeah, Ermin. I mean, Alvin Gentry probably knows more about defense than you and I, but he doesn't know as much about defense as Ermin or Ron Adams from Golden State. So the, that trust needs to be there. And that's one thing I loved about Uncle Alvin is that he trusted his guys to make those hard decisions, something that I haven't seen from Terry Stotts. I do want to touch on Damian Lillard in terms of, I feel like in 2018, it was Paul George. In 2019, it was James Harden. Also, I think in 2018, it was Anthony Davis. And this past year, it was Bradley Beal. All eyes are going to pour. This is the superstar that's now available, quote unquote, available on the market or that feels the most attainable. It seems like it happens every year. Uh, I believe Shams reported that six to seven teams have already reached out, including the Knicks, Clippers, and Heat. Pretty wild the Clippers are reaching out considering they have a playoff series to, to deal with, but that's neither here nor there. I think it's going to come down to, and we talked about this last episode, picking a path. Can you find a number two for Dame or are you going to have to blow the whole thing up? And so, Sage, I know we talked about this off air, but I, the obvious lane for Portland first is to find that, that number two option. And, and there's, there's a few reasons why I think keeping Lillard makes the most sense from, from the jump. One is, and this is why I don't think the team would ever trade Dame unless he, he requests out. There's too much at stake financially. If Jody Allen wants to sell the team, the team valuation stays where it's at if Damian Lillard is there. If they trade him, it drops significantly. Ticket sales drop significantly. Corporate sponsorships are less likely to renew. There's also a new TV deal that they're trying to work out with Root Sports. That is a lot easier sell to say, hey, we've got Damian Lillard, you know, Ratings galore. It doesn't matter what the team does. Team play people at least for the next season or two will still tune in to watch Damian Lillard. They will still continue to pack the arena to watch Damian Lillard. That that's just that's that's the bottom line. So that's why I think the first option will always be to find that number two. But it takes two to tango, Sage. And does Portland have the assets to actually acquire that number two star? Because right now their draft capital is pretty light after giving up two first round picks for Robert Covington. And I would say your third best player is an unrestricted free agent, essentially, in Norman Powell. So realistically, like this isn't 2K. Can CJ and Nurk actually get you that that piece? And if would you have enough left to still be uh, competing at the Western Conference elite? Because I think it's important I think it's important for the team to not make decisions strictly based off of finances. I know they will, but if I'm just, you know, speaking as a fan and somebody who, who has kind of seen the league for, for years and, and how it kind of can, can trickle down, I think it's really important that Portland executes the, the smartly because with, with Damian Lillard, you could get a King's ransom for him right now. I think his value has never been at its highest. You don't want to end up like the Grizzlies where they trade Conley and they trade Gasol too late. You know, Memphis had their one year at making the Western Conference Finals, just like the Boozer and Darren Williams Utah Jazz did. 
is the Portland Trailblazers, was that our peak with, with Lillard? I don't, I don't know, but I think there needs to be a lot of truth, a lot of self-awareness, and a lot of reflection going into this these decisions. And that's why I personally feel like there's some uncertainty because Portland, they may want to bring in that second star, but I don't know if they're going to be able to. I know it's easy to say mortgage the future. I you know I've tweeted that out too. Mortgage the future to, to get to get Dame a second star. But there has to be another team out there that says, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll take you up on that because I, I, some names I'm hearing floated out like, you know, Tobias Harris or, or, or something like that. That's not going to get it done. You actually need a second legitimate top 10, top 15 player to actually go down that path. So while it may be the more beneficial path, especially financially, I mean, I think that they do have to ask the question, would it be best to move Dame now and just just rebuild through the draft? And I think that's a hard question for anybody to even stomach right now because clearly Dame is beloved in, in this city. It all depends on what is available via the trade market. You know, what, how much we have to give up to get it. But I, I think that the first option is definitely explore it as much as we can to try and get that that second piece i don't know who's going to be available because it isn't the off season yet there's rumors of players but you never know what it is so uh i can't really answer that question about who we should get or you know what we'd have to give up just unanswerable at this very moment because play is still going on and you don't know all those rumors you know, we're not we're not in tune with Philadelphia. We're not in tune with Miami the way we are with Portland. So I don't know. Um, it, it once 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 the season's truly over, then it'll be easier to figure out what what's what's popping with each and every team. I honestly think the only way we get a second star is if that star says, I want to play with Dame in Portland and then judges their organization to make a trade. Because I, I just I have a hard time, you know, if we're looking at Carl Anthony Towns, for example, Minnesota has no desire to move Towns to Portland for what we could offer. That doesn't fit their timeline. The players we have don't really fit their needs. But if Carl Anthony Towns says, hey, you know, I've been here since 2015. We've made the playoffs once. I haven't even, you know, sniffed the, the second round. I, I want to go play in Portland with Dame and try to take them to the next level. You know, he has that that power. It's a player-driven league. And it's just like when Paul George picked up that phone and said, Thanks, OKC, but I want to go play with Kawhi in Los Angeles. Like, okay. But that also took some self-awareness on the OKC side, knowing, hey, we just got waxed in five games to the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, we need to we need to let this go. Yeah, so it, 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 there's so many things that have to happen. It's, it's not as – it's a lot of luck, and it's just a series of events that have to go entirely in place perfectly. For, for that to happen. I mean, just if we even look at the Clippers, for example, all of the luck just to get Kawhi, but then Kawhi, not only before he signed there, he had to recruit somebody else to come play with him. And so once you get that commitment from Paul George, okay, okay, so he could have said no. Like, no, Paul George is, he's under contract here. We're going to run it back with Russ. Like, we, we think the Blazers got lucky. We, we think we can be better. Well, it took Paul George to say yes, and then the OKC Thunder be like, okay, we're not good enough. So, yeah, give us everything and and the kitchen sink. 
think of all of those steps it took just to get the Clippers where they are now. And Portland is, is facing that similar uphill battle. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be difficult. But if Neil O'Shea says he's the, uh, the negotiator that he's claimed he has been for these nine plus years, it should be a lot easier for him than uh, most people. I would expect Portland to hire a coach knowing that they have Damian Lillard in the fold. I, I would expect Neil Olshay to explore the, the trade market and swing for the fences. I think this is, this is really the last year. If we don't go for it, Dame may play out this year, but I think he will ask at the next year. I think he'll at least give us this year. Um, and then maybe we're, we're looking at a rebuild. So that, that's why there, I feel like there's a, a lot of uncertainty if we're not able to pull off, pull off those moves. Mm-hmm. I mean, if running a basketball team was easy, easy, then a lot more people would be involved in basketball operations. This shit is difficult and there has to be a lot of luck. So hopefully the years of us having injury issues, you know, during the playoffs and throughout the regular season can go into a, the, the luck container and we can get one of those transcendent players that Dame deserves to play with. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned, you mentioned it, it takes a lot of luck, but I think, I think everyone would be lying to themselves if they said they didn't see this summer coming and where we're at right now. I mean, Sage, we've talked about it for, for at least over a year where there, there was so much pressure on this team to perform. Otherwise, significant changes were going to be made. I mean, everyone knew the coach was at the top of that list, but the core itself, McCollum, Nurkic, could could they be gone? Could could it be Lillard? Like Portland bought themselves time. 2018, the the clock started ticking, but but Dame went to bat for, you know, his coaching staff and said, no, that's on me, the reason why we lost. And Paul Allen said, okay, we'll run it back. Portland had some luck. They also had some skill in beating the Thunder and the Nuggets. But I think the way and nature in which they lost to the Warriors kind of still left a sour taste in everyone's mouth. And the fact that Portland wasn't even able to get a game against the Warriors without Durant made it seem like that might have been their peak you look ahead to the following year and it was always supposed to be the core of Lillard, McCollum, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, and Yusuf Nurkic. I don't think that five even was able to start or play together after the, after before Nurk broke his leg. So there's a lot of luck in there. Like you look at Rodney Hood, he had a career defining injury the following season. Zach Collins has not played in two years. Nurkic is coming back from a career-defining leg injury and got injured again. You factor in the historically bad defense, the underachieving in the postseason, and this is where we're at. All right, so in this, these times of uncertainty can also lead to a lot of excitement. Uh, We don't know what's next on the horizon for the Trailblazers, but we do have some fan questions. Uh, We got two. We got two from at GN Stoymanov. 
Georgie, uh, you have asked um, pl uh, plenty of questions in the past. Please let let me know if I'm pronouncing your, your last name correctly or not. But but I hope I hope I did. He says, "Hi guys. In your opinion, will Terry Stotts' departure be enough for Yusuf Nurkic to be happy to stay?" He says, "Nurk looks like a guy who could put a strain on a team vibes if he's unhappy with his role. Do you realistically see?" him getting his quote-unquote bigger role if Dame and Norm run the backcourt action next year? Depends on who the coach is. I mean, I think that trade or, or firing Stotts was a good first step to get Yusuf back into the fold so he's, he, he's a, uh, he isn't causing trouble. But I think that we need to – have a good coach to uh, to inspire him to play well. So it depends on who the coach is. At. I think that he has all the abilities and the can do. It just needs to be the person that I can I can identify him and motivate him to perform at his top level more consistently. I mean, we we look at Nurk. I, I know we talked about this last time, saying his contract's not guaranteed. Portland's picking up that contract. He he's gonna have a year left. And you know what? It doesn't matter who the coach is. Nurk, and specifically his agent, Clutch Sports, they want to get paid. He has, he has one year left on that deal. The best way to get paid is to absolutely have an incredible contract year. We've seen it all the time. So Nurk needs to quit sulking and put together a dominant year that can get him paid. And if he wants to leave, that would be his contractual right to do so. He put in the work and now he can be a, a free agent. Um, I think that would be the bare minimum. You clearly want to have a good relationship between coach and center. And I don't think Nurk's wrong in his feelings. He was underutilized. But as I mentioned on the last episode, it didn't hold a lot of weight to me because there are a few things that could happen if you see Nurk on a pick and roll. One, he could finish it. Two, he could commit an offensive foul. Three, he could fumble the ball out of bounds. Or four, he could he could miss the shot. Like, there's a one in four chance of something good happening. And when you're running pick and roll and you're trying to hit the big man, I need better than 25% odds that something good is going to happen. So Nurk needs to, get, Nurk needs to, again, look in the mirror and say, I need to be better. Nurk needs to be better. You mentioned it, Sage. He has all the tools of the trade that you would want in a modern big. He can move. He can, he has size, he has good defensive instincts, he's vocal, he has shown the ability to finish around the rim, he's athletic for his size, he could be a top 10 center easily. Yeah, how many, how many bigs have the potentials to make money like he can? It's not, not a top 10 center, it's a top five. He has the potential to be one of those elite centers in terms of contract if he doesn't show that he's worth it he's going to get treated like andre drummond he's going to get treated like aaron baines he's going to get treated like most centers in the in the league so the fact that he signed with clutch means they have faith in him to return some of that money to him like they're his representative if he doesn't have a fantastic year he loses that chance of multi-year a multi-year contract. He has to perform. And you said it, it's the P word potential. I think Portland finds themselves with these potential players way too often. 
in their franchise history. I mean, it just seems like Nick Batum was the potential player for Portland when he started as a rookie, uh, 19-year-old rookie. Like, oh, when's he ever going to get there? He never got there. He was the same player he was in Portland that, that he's been throughout his entire career. He just never got better. He was inconsistent. He showed flashes of brilliance that teased you. Yusuf Nurkic is the small is the center version of Nick Batum. Like they they are one in the same to me. And you saw what happened. Nick Batum got that big deal in Charlotte, and he stole money. I mean, he stole Jordan's money, and that's the well, he's, he's still they paid him. They stretched his contract. Yeah, he he got paid nine million a year to go away. <laughs> so, I personally, if they want to keep Nurkic because they couldn't find a reasonable return, that's fine. But I think moving forward, if we're talking big three or core, I, I don't know if I'm putting Nurkic in that category yet. I need to see more. Um, a, a big three of Dame, CJ, and Nurkic, we've proclaimed that for a while. That, that's that's not good enough. And there's no ill will. They're good people, but we're talking basketball. You just looked at Nick Batum's contract, didn't no, you? No, I didn't. I looked at Steven Adams's contract, and I got really sad. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, but my, those, my point is... Those big man contracts don't exist anymore. You have to... Steven Adams is stealing money. Joker, Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert. Vuce is getting 26, and then it drops to 18. Vuce is stealing money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Miles Turner's getting 18. Clint's getting 16. <laughs> Cody Zeller's getting 15. Jonas is getting uh, 15. There's a lot of centers that aren't deserving of that money. And as the game progresses to where it is, a lot more centers aren't going to have money because the, the, the back down center is a thing of the past. So if Yusuf has a chance to get that Steven Adams money, he has to perform at a very high level. Yes. Perform like Nikola Jokic and and you know what? 29 other GMs saw Jokic cook him. They saw him take advantage, kind of get into his head a bit, make him commit those, those silly fouls. Like, Nurk needs to get things under control. Um, and we have a, a second question, so it was a follow-up. He says in part two, in case you feel Nurk is likely to be traded, how would you rank the following front court options? Um, in terms of uh, impact and feasibility. So he, he listed some some tier one and tier two and tier three players. So you've got uh, DeMontis Sabonis from the Pacers, Cam Reddish from the Hawks, uh, Rui Hachimura from the Wizards, Isaiah Roby from the Thunder, Jackson Hayes from your Pelicans, and Zach Collins as, as well. Um, I would say looking at that list, Sabonis is the only, if you're keeping Damian Lillard, Sabonis is the only name on that list that makes any ounce of sense. Now, if you move Dame and you go rebuild, uh, maybe a guy like Isaiah Roby would be a a cheap option to have who has some potential. Um, I'm not a Cam Reddish fan. He's Um, been hurt for so long. Exactly. Uh, I think Portland sees what they have in Zach Collins. Uh, They give him a one-year prove-it deal to see if he can take that step from where he showed in 2019 or if he's going to be another potential type of player like like Myers Leonard, like Batum, like Nurkic, like you're always hoping for more and they never deliver. But, you know, uh, of that list, the only one that really kind of made me raise my eyebrows was DeMontis Sabonis. Yeah, and with DeMontis, you, the team construct, I, I think DeMontis Sabonis is easily the 
the quote unquote star that is most attainable this year, but the team construction with Demonis because he most likely has to play the five is going to be really difficult because he's a bad center defensively. Amazing offensively, he's just bad defensively. And we've dealt with bad defenses for a long time. The team construction is going to be really weird to get Dame and Sabonis, you know, the, the defenders that they need to be a, be a, a and you competent need, enough unit. You need plus, plus, plus. Yeah, and I mean, Damon is like Damon's about Damon's a bonus is not good enough. No, no, yeah, and like Robert Cov, like we have to have three Robert Covingtons to to make up for. Uh, You're probably trading Covington out to get like you have to give to get. Um, I will say shout out to to the names on that list. It wasn't just complete pie in the sky players. It was a great list of young players that are kind of ranging in their their skill set and in terms of their availability it's not just a bunch of oh the blazers can trade robert covington and nurk and we're going to get towns like no it was it was a good list of i think players who could be attainable um, I, I like Ruri, but i he's the he's their third star and third usage rate their only other piece yeah and yeah. so that's isaiah roby i'd like him as a backup he's fine jackson yeah. hayes is so athletic and so raw because he didn't play basketball until he was 16. A lot of these guys would be, let's bring them in. If if we're, if we're tanking and thinking about the future in terms of development, sure. Let's see what Jackson Hayes can do with decent spacing around him. Cause he sure as hell isn't getting that in new Orleans, but, uh, Demon, if we're talking about that list, Demonis is the only person that's worthy of like being that secondary star. So yeah. that, 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 the defense scares me. The defense is legitimately horrible. Of like, that list, I, I would just, aside from Sabonis, stick with Zach Collins. Why? Because we can cost control his contract. Hachimura is getting paid. Jackson's going to get paid because he was the mm, seventh pick overall. Well, they still have potential value to their franchises. So it's like, you know, think of how we hold on to like Nasir Little or Gary Trent Jr. They hold on to those players. definitely. They were lottery picks. And so you don't want to give up on them after two years. The way that, the way that we talked about Gary Trent Jr., people were talking about Josh, Josh Hart. Everybody has those guys that try really hard and are endeared themselves to you as a fan. There's people in, New Orleans Pelicans Twitter that love Jackson Hayes. So I, I, if given that list and given what we'd have to att- get to attain them, I guess I'm cool with Zach Collins, but yeah, Demonis is the only one that gets me uh sort of interested. If we're, if we're competing for a chip, if we're tanking, give me all of them. Give me all the, all the draft picks. So yeah, I think, I'm at peace with whatever Portland decides to do. I just don't want to run it back. Like, uh, I think first, see if you can get a second star. If you can't move on from Dame, I think do it for his sake. Most, most of all, like I, I don't want a Kevin Garnett in Minnesota situation. You know, it's clear that there, there's nothing available for him. And then by the time you trade him, you get Al Jefferson in a first round pick. No, if you're going to move a franchise player, get a King's ransom in return and let's, let, let's rebuild through, through the draft and let's, you know, do it the, the right way. Yeah. Make no mistake about it. Portland has had options 
to elevate this roster and they failed and we called them out on it. And the summer of 2016 and the summer of 2017 and anytime a star free agent or excuse me, a superstar came on the market and we didn't pounce that's on us because we were too safe and comfortable in what we had. Portland has had Portland could be, we could have had a chip. We could have been close to a chip. We, we, we didn't make those moves. And again, that's where I think a lot of the blame falls on Neil O'Shea. But one thing you have to give Neil O'Shea credit for, he is a master of the, of the uh, politician. Nowhere have I read any articles that has him on the hot seat, that has him uh, taking any blame. Like he knows how to work that system. He's got Woj working for him. I mean, he's, so you have to tip your hat off to, to, to Neil because as much heat as he gets from Blazer fans, I don't think any other average NBA fan probably knows his name and he wants to keep it that way. Neil is, has faults as a general manager, but then he has strengths and, but he has done a very good job of endearing himself to, to the right people. I mean, shit. If it would help me out, if I endeared myself to the right people, it'll help you out. If you endeared yourself to the right people, he's doing something right. What, what team construction would you want? If it was a Dame Dumanis one one and five, who are who are the archetypal players that you need for two, three, and four? I think you need your wings. One of the wings has to be uh, a lockdown defender. Point of attack or off ball? Point of attack. Dame Dame can't guard point of attack. You have to have point of attack. Uh, you have to have a, a sharpshooter. I mean, both players would ideally be able to. Space. They have to be plus in three points. Because you look at what look at the Hawks. I think they have incredible spacing. Trey Young's not a good defender, but on the offensive side of the ball, everyone can hit a three. And when you have athletic bigs like John Collins, Akongwu, and Clint Capella, who are lob threats, they they just cause a lot of problems. So I, I think the Hawks are actually a, a good construct to, to mm-hmm. look at as something that's not only um, deadly, but it's it's doable. It's there's it's it's a realistic roster construct, and if there's one thing that I want out of a head coach, can can we teach our players how to throw a fucking alley oop? I mean, I I just their easy points are, are at the, at the rim, and we just don't know how to do it. So, I feel like we 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 already have some players that fit that 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 roster construction on this team currently. If we didn't trade them away to get Demonis. I think Robert Covington can fit in any lineup construction because of what he can do. I think Norman Powell can fit in any lineup construction because of what those two are glue guys in my eye. They can fit in any, any lineup that you put them in. They can find a way to be plus in multiple facets. I think Nasir Little has that potential to be a glue guy as well. So there are players that could fit that roster construct already on this team. If we wanted to get Sabonis, I think that, we have to really become Atlanta Hawks like with identifying talent that isn't valued as highly as it should be. And we have those wings that can, you know, be glue guys for this team. Like if you were a betting man, what do you think the most likely trade is for, to get that all-star caliber player? Is it Demonis? Oh, who that player would be? Yeah. Money could have been on, on Paul George, but the Clippers just 
advance and I expect them to beat the Utah Jazz. Utah doesn't have a perimeter player that can give them fits like Luka Doncic is able to. So I, I do expect the Clippers to defeat Utah and play Phoenix for the Western Conference Finals. Um, if they're able to get to the finals, of course, they're just going to tinker. They're, they're not going to um, sell uh, on PG, especially after he signed that extension. It's it's. I always hold hesitancy when talking about trades with the Indiana Pacers just because they have Kevin Pritchard as their GM. And I do think Kevin Pritchard holds some ill will about how his tenure in Portland um, came to an end, basically getting fired the day before the draft and saying, no, you still need to complete the draft. It was a very awkward uh, situation. And uh, I think there are pettiness that comes with, with doing trades because it's all about relationship building, right? I mean, you're basically trying to work in good faith with another person that's trying to also tear your head off in a trade, essentially. Like I, I want to dunk on you so bad, uh, but you also have to, you know, be professional about it. I, I don't think Kevin Pritchard hold Portland. I, I don't think we'll ever see a trade with Portland and Kevin Pritchard. So that's why Sabonis isn't super likely, maybe a three-team trade, but God, three-team trades seem to materialize after two-team trades are agreed upon and they start to branch apart. So I don't know if Sabonis coming to Portland would ever materialize after a two-team deal came mm-hmm. to fruition. So, I mean, with with the coaching, like with all those issues with Indiana, I feel like it's a little more likely than it would be if everything was a successful, like, uh, you know, Indiana hoped. I mean, it's true. Um, if they view C.J. McCollum as, as a point guard or if they feel like he could play with uh, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, but they also have Karis LeVert as well. And they have TJ Warren coming back. So again, it's it's finding that right fit. Like we have pieces and they may be valuable, but are they what you're looking for? Um, I, I don't know if we we could make the right move to get Sabonis. Um, I think Carl Anthony Towns is maybe be a 25% chance. And that's only if he wants to play with Dame. I know he has a great relationship with Robert Covington, from their time that they played together in, in Minnesota. And I I could see towns wanting a a clean break from Minnesota as they still look like they're on the youth movement and towns is as crazy as it seems almost he's 24, 25 years old. So he's ready to start winning again. Um, Off off air, we brought up, you know, Jimmy Butler, the heat have been known to be stingy with, with extensions especially with older players. You know, if Dwayne Wade didn't get one, what makes you think Jimmy Butler would get one? Um, There are concerns about his lack of shooting, but defensively, leadership, uh, you know what you're getting in in Jimmy Buckets. Those those are the names that that would make the most sense to me. Like we've kind of went through everybody's roster and there's really not a lot of high-level players on on the market right now. Dame Dame's the high level market or Dame's the high level player that could possibly be on the market. So we're kind of fucked in that sense. Like we picked the absolute worst time to, to go superstar hunting. I mean, we should have been doing this when Kawhi wanted out, when when Butler and when Paul George or Harden, like time, time again. Yeah. It, I mean, has, could you imagine what our team would look like if they traded AD for CJ, Nurk, and picks? I mean, I, I don't even want to mention it, but if we want to get crazy and you still want to compete, 
I mean, the listeners are going to fire me off into the sun. You could potentially look at moving Lillard for Anthony Davis. I, I'm not saying I would go that route, but it does give. I don't some know if my heart could take all that. I, I don't know if my heart could take all that either, but it's. Oh God. Ugh. That's the, so when Laker fans come up with these, these scenarios, that's it. That's the only way you're getting Dame. And that's if Dame says, I want out. But and it is, Anthony Davis's Achilles isn't as bad as that. See, that's honestly the, the biggest sticking point. And people be like, oh, God, why is it not Dame in a Laker uniform being the sticking point? Well, if Dame wants out, then, then he wants out. I'm not I'm not going to hold him hostage like he's, he's his own man. If Anthony Davis was fully healthy, I, I honestly think it would possibly even benefit both both teams, because, again, you're looking at giving CJ his own team, which he needs. Dame needs his own team. Like The, the two of them are so similar. And now you're starting to look at a team that can be shaped in the mold of, of a contender. You feel more balanced, but Lakers have no picks though to offer us. No, but again, I don't know if see most people value Davis similar to, I mean, look at what the hall new Orleans got for, for AD. That's a hall. So I, I do think Anthony Davis, and I do believe Damian Lillard is a better player and a better leader. But oh, Absolutely. Look, when you look at his two-way ability, his value rises. And everyone saw how well he played in the finals. I don't, like like we mentioned, I think he needs another leader to kind of usher him along. But if it works, it works. It's kind of a happy medium where you're still incredibly competitive. He's three years younger. Um, I, I personally wouldn't do it, but it wouldn't. You know, I CJ, still think, Dan, AD, CJ, and Nurkic. With Powell be- and Roka. <sighs> that's, that's putting a lot of faith in two injury prones that big man. <laughs> Absolutely, but again, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm out here trying to make lemons out of lemonade. Like I, I'm ready for really any scenario to happen th- this summer. That that's really where I'm at, and I think a lot of our listeners probably should do the same because I I think if you're if you're banking on Portland getting. You know, Kawhi Leonard or Paul George or Giannis. Like, I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen, folks. Like, so are yeah. you going to watch some Cade Cunningham tape? If so, that's another thing. The draft lottery could throw a wrench into this as well. Like, if if Dame just decides, guys, like I've slept on it, you know, I, I really want want to move on. If there is a team that wins the draft lottery, that. It's like, hey, we want Damian Lillard. There's some franchises that it doesn't match up with their timeline, but they're also fran- like the Pistons. But like, oh, we could Dame Jeremy Grant like in the East. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Exactly. Like there, there are some franchises that be like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that you. I'm at the point in 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 the fandom where I explore every opportunity. Un, uh, turn over every rock. We we're, we're not at the point where we need to, where we should be a you know a picky. We we haven't done it yet. We've made the Western Conference Finals and haven't we haven't won a Western Conference Finals game in 21 years. We haven't made the NBA Finals in 29 years. So nobody's going to feel comfortable about the idea of trading Damian Lillard. It's uncomfortable enough as it is talking about it, but it is a reality. It is a realistic out uh, op- outcome from this offseason. So 
just be prepared. And if it comes to a draft pick like a Kate Cunningham, then cool. We're ushering in the Kate Cunningham era. Or if we're getting Anthony Davis, cool. We're still going to be elite. Or if we get a second superstar to pair with him, okay, let's fucking go. Like I, I'm trying to find like the positive outcomes because it's not all doom and gloom. Like to me, the only doom and gloom outcome is running it back. That's the only thing where I'd be like, what are we doing here? Like, again, completely tear it down or go all in there. There is no in between. There will definitely, this podcast will be posted. We'll have, I'll post some, uh, coaching things on the holy backboard.com. Uh, the second something happens with the, that is real regarding the blazers. We'll be back. Thank you so much for listening and we're out of here. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go.